Well, good morning, Northland. It's good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. We have one more weekend before we start our series, Northland 2.0. But this is, you could, all, you could probably refer to this as a great primer. Everybody say primer. This would be a great primer for our series, Northland 2.0. Now, I have a question, and I want you to be honest because you are with the church. Now, you aren't at church. You are with the church because church is not a place. It is a people. So you're with the church. I want you to be honest. How many of you, you consider yourself a good driver? Now, you be honest now. And if I see some spouses like, you ain't no good driver. I rode with you here. Now, anyway, so, all right, so you are, we have a couple people. You think that you are a good driver. Now, Part of being a good driver is actually how you use this thing. It's a rear view mirror. And it's also how you use your side mirrors too. But, but your rear view mirror, how you use your rear view mirror will, will be one of the elements that will determine whether or not you are a good driver. To be effectively, you have to use this mirror correctly. Now, I was thinking through all of the scenarios in which I have used the rear view mirror. Now, I'm not going to list all of those for you this morning, but, but a couple of, of, of times and situations I use the rear view mirror. So, I'm, I'm driving. Let's see how, how, yeah, here we go. It's like this. So, I'm driving, driving, and then some jack wagon wants to tailgate me. I use my rear view mirror. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm in the slow lane. You, you know, the left lane, if you're especially in a four-lane road, the, the left lane is the fast lane. The right lane is the slow lane, or, or basically the speed limit lane, all right? So, we want you to go to the speed limit in the right lane, and so I'm in the right lane, I'm in the slow speed limit lane, and, they, and people still want to tailgate me, so I'm, I'm sitting there going, why are you on my tail? I'm in the appropriate lane, can you, can, you, can you pass me? That would be great. And then they just want to continue to inch up, and so I'm constantly looking at them in my rearview mirror because I'm worried, I'm concerned, because if I have to slam on my brakes, then they're probably going to hit me. So that's one time I will use my rear view mirror. Another time that I've used my rear view mirror, and it's mainly when the children were smaller and younger, but they want to fight. Any of your kids want to fight? And, and so I'm like, D -d 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 get your hand off your brother. Get your hand off your brother. No, don't do that to your sister. And then there have been times where, oh goodness, you spilt a Sprite. Oh, oh gosh, it's everywhere. And so I'm constantly looking at my, like, how bad is it? How bad is it? And then, and then two more situations. Uh, one, uh, we use Waze for directions. Anybody else use Waze out there? Okay, yeah, a couple, couple of you use Waze. Some of you, I use Google Maps. Well, I don't know what Google Maps are. So anyways, <laughs> I do, but I just don't use it. So Waze, Waze will tell you where popos are. Uh, you know what a popo is? It's a police car, policeman, policewoman. And I love that about Waze. But there are some times where undoubtedly some Wazers, that those are people who use Waze, have either failed to report that a police officer is there or they have already maneuvered and I'm the first one to pass them. Well, if I'm the first one to pass them, I don't know about them. So I'm, and just so that you know, I, I do go over the speed limit just a little bit, okay? So in Winter Springs, I only go like two, three miles over, all right? Because they told me, don't speed in winter springs, okay? So I try not to, which is probably why people tailgate me. And then uh, in other places, I'm going to try to go maybe five miles over. So if it's 50, I'm going to go 55. If it's 60, I might 
might go 66, 67. If it's 70, I might, I might raise the roof just a little bit and go 78, 79, just under 80, okay? And so if, if, if I pass the policeman, and for the first time, because I don't know that the policeman is there, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, did he turn his lights on? Did he turn his lights on? Okay, good, 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 good. And then the last time I'll use my rear view mirror, and I've only had to do this twice, because I don't know what it is about squirrels in cars. I don't know why. Are they attracted to cars? Do, do, do they, do they want to be the, the next Frogger game? So some of you older people, you remember what the Frogger game was. So I don't know what it is. But, but for some reason, I find myself trying to avoid squirrels all the time. All the time. But there has been a couple of occasions where a squirrel has found my tire. And so I'll look and go, did he make it? Did he make it? Oh, he did make it. He did make it. So you say, Josh, why why are you talking to us about the rear view mirror? Because how you use your rear view mirror will determine at least one of the determinations of whether or not you are a good driver because we know this you cannot look into the rearview mirror for a long period of time without crashing so if you glue your eyes to the rearview mirror and that's all you're looking at you are bound to crash and every time and here's the other thing that I know about the rearview mirror especially in traffic and there is a lot of traffic here in Florida now maybe if you live out in where John Tardonia lives in the bush of, of, of the Orlando area like we went there a few weeks ago and I'm like I didn't even know I, I didn't even know it was a rural area like that so if you live in that area there might not be a lot of traffic but I know that when there's a lot of traffic and I start looking into my rearview mirror guess what I'm naturally inclined to do tap on those brakes And the reason why I tap on those brakes around other cars, if I'm looking in the rearview mirror, is because I'm not as confident in where I'm going anymore. You see, God has given me a word for us, for me, this morning. And I'm here to declare to us that we all, including myself, we need a reality check as to the kind of Christian driver we actually are. Because if I had to say this morning, which I will, there are a lot of you, you are spending more time looking in that rear view mirror than you are the front windshield of where God wants to take you. And what we will see today is that some people here online, Bridges of America, the Seminole County jails, and the Ponce Inland Home Church, some of you, you're not even in the car. Some of us, we've been looking in the rearview mirror too much and we're not confident where God is leading us. We've been staring in the rearview mirror and what we, have, what we will come to realize at the end of this message is that we've been staring so long we haven't even moved the car. And then there's some of us, we are actually using the rearview mirror effectively. Yeah, you're glancing. Sure, it's okay to look behind you, look at lessons that God may have wanted to teach you in the past. So yeah, glance, but don't stare. So here, here's the main point that we're going to, let me ask you, you all right this morning, you all right this morning? Well, if you're not, it's okay, you're welcome, glad you're here. But here's the main point we're gonna flesh out this morning. Don't look back when God tells you to move forward. 
Don't, don't look back when God tells you to move forward. So, so here in just a second, we'll give you five categories of people that we will see in Genesis 19. Now, this is going to be a kind of a different message than what I normally preach because I'm going to look at 38 verses in this chapter. So I'm going to sit down and basically we're going to unpack the story here in Genesis 19. But by the end of the message, here's my goal. I want every single one of us, including myself, to identify with a category of person that we will see in Genesis 19. So here's the five categories of a people that we will see in this chapter. Number one, category number one, there are those who don't move forward because their past is their future. They don't even know that God has a future for them, so their past is their future. There are those who don't move forward because they, be, they, they don't believe there is a future. So, so someone has told them that there is a future, but they just don't believe. Third, there are those who move forward, but they can't let go of their past. Then there are those who attempt to move forward, but they're longing for the past. They just stare at the rear view mirror. But their longing for the past destroys them from moving into the future. And then the last category is there are those who move forward because they've focused on the Lord of the future. So there are those. They use the rear view mirror appropriately, but they are mainly concerned about the Lord of the future, and they're focused on the Lord of the future. Now, all of this looking back has to do with how people respond to sin, how they respond to the world, how they respond to God's wrath and his judgment. So I know a few of you out there, you ever preach on wrath, you ever preach on hell? Well, this is your message, okay? So go ahead and mark it down in your Bible that what's today? Today is January 15th, 2023. Pastor Josh preached on wrath and hell, all right? Just go, go ahead. I know, when are you gonna preach on hell? Right now, I'm gonna preach on it. So, uh, it has to do with obedience uh, to God's salvation, his deliverance, his redemption. That's what we're going to see this morning. So with all of that said, that's the introduction. Now let's move into the body, and we're just going to walk through Genesis 19. Verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening. Now, all right, so why do we have two angels and they're arriving at Sodom? Well, if you read Genesis 18, what you will find is that angels show up to Abraham's house and they're just hanging out at Abraham's ha house. Abraham and Sarah, they've just cooked, a, well, particularly Sarah, cooked a really nice meal for them. Abraham's entertaining them. And then they get ready to leave and they're like, should we tell Abraham what we're about to do? And they said, yeah, we probably need to tell Abraham what we're about to do. And they tell Abraham that they're actually here to move towards Sodom because God has sent them to destroy, to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. Now the two angels arrive at Sodom, so they are there to destroy the city. God's, God's going to pour out his wrath, his judgment on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because their evil and wickedness has come up to him, and it's time for him to deal with them. So that's why the angels are there. And Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. Now, this is interesting. Lot is Abraham's nephew. So Lot left with Abraham when Abraham was told by God, 
while he was living in the land of the Ur of the Chaldeans, God had come to Abraham and said, I want you to leave your homeland and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. Well, so Abraham, he rounds up all of his family. Part of that roundup included Lot, his nephew. So Lot has gone with Abraham, but then something happened. When they got there, Lot, he became very wealthy. So his herds and his flocks increased and then also did Abraham's. Well, this land that they were in could not accommodate both Lot and Abraham and their flocks. Well, so their servants begin to fight one another. And then Abraham, being the godly man he is and the wise man he is, he comes to his nephew and says, hey, 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 nephew, this isn't really healthy for us to be fighting with one another. We are family. I tell you what, I'll, I'll let you pick the land that you want to go towards, and then I'll take the land that you don't want. Well, so Lot's like, woohoo, this is great, because he sees land to the east. Now, you do realize, because I've said it before, so if you've been here any amount of time, particularly in Genesis, west is the direction of God, east is the direction of man. Guess what, which direction Lot chooses to go towards? East. And so he, he sees, oh, it's, it's greener, it's better land. Oh my gosh, our flocks and herds, they're going to have a heyday there. This is the best land. But he's moving towards the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And what you will see is a progression in Lot's life. So if you read Genesis chapter 13, verse 12, you'll see that he pitched his tents towards Sodom. And then in the very next chapter, in chapter 14, he then is living in Sodom. And now in Genesis 19, he is in the gateway of the city. Do you know what that means? That means he is a now leader in the city of Sodom. People are looking to him. He's conducting business there in the city of uh, Sodom. Let, let me just tell you this. You remember last week we talked about training towards godliness. Listen, if you're going to drift in the Christian life, you will always drift towards godlessness, not godliness. And that's Lot. Because we do know that in 2 Peter, he is referenced as a righteous man. But what we see here in chapter 19 is that he, although is a righteous man, he is struggling with his life. He's continuing to drift towards godlessness, not godliness. But, but he has some characteristics of godliness, as we'll see, but he is struggling more. He is what you call a half-hearted Christian, a half-devoted Christian, a lukewarm Christian, a carnal Christian. That is Lot. So he's in the gateway of the city. You could also say it this way. Jesus told us to be in the world, but what? not of the world. Lot is in the world and he is of the world. So when, when Lot sees these visitors, he got up to meet them and he bowed down with his face to the ground. That's actually exactly what Abraham did in Genesis 18 when these visitors came. So like I said, he has, he has some elements of godliness. He has some elements of righteousness. But again, he is a conflicted, a confused man. Verse two, my lords, he said, Please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. But here's what the angels say. No, they answered, we'll just spend the night 
in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered into his house. Like he's saying, guys, you do not want to spend the night in the square. I know the city. I know how wicked the city is. I know how evil the city is. It is not a safe place to be in the town square in the middle of the night. Please come with me and come to my house. And so they do. And he prepares a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Verse 4, before they had gone to bed, look at this, before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, they surround the house. Now, why are they surrounding the house? Have they brought some goodies? Have their wives and their girlfriends baked some cakes and some cookies to give these, these, these guests in the city of Sodom? No, no, no. Look at what they do. They call to Lot and they say, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. This is a vile, a wicked, an evil, a depraved city. And they don't think anything's wrong of it. They don't think anything's wrong with it. I mean, this what we're reading this, we're like, this is sick. But they don't think that it's sick. They have become so accustomed. They don't even think sickness is sickness anymore. You do realize that's where our, our nation is going. One, what was once vile is now considered normal. So here's the city. It's normal. It's normal behavior. Lot knows better, though, because look what he says. Verse 6, Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind them. And he said, no, my, everybody say it. Friends, woo. Actually, brothers is a better word. No, my my friends, no, my brothers, don't do this wicked thing. So here's Lot. He's finally speaking up. Look, and but but, but look what he does though. Verse eight. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do whatever you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Unbelievable. This, this is where, again, Lot's struggling. He is compromised. He's like, you know what? I, I don't want you to have these men. Don't do this wicked thing. But hey, you know, I got some, I got some daughters here. They've never been with the man. They're virgins. They're not married, even though they are betrothed, which we'll see. Hey, won't you just take them and do whatever you want with them? I mean, here again, this is a man. He's straddling between two worlds. He's straddling between heaven. He's straddling between hell. Don't do this wicked thing, but do this, this lesser wicked thing. Verse 9, get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a, everybody say it. Oh, now he wants to play the judge. Isn't that the ways of the world? As long as you agree with them, you are their friend. As long as you conduct business according to them, they're close to you. They're like, hey, that, that, that's my bro right there. That's my, that's my brother. But then, but then you go say, hey, don't do this wicked thing. This is wrong. This is not right. And the minute you tell them that what they're doing is not right, now you are a judge, a stranger, and a foreigner. That's our world. 
But, but, but here's the thing that I, that I also know is that kind of mentality seeps into the church as well. As long as you agree with them on secondary and tertiary and other matters, as long as you agree with them, they're your friend. They're your sis. They're, they're your bro. But, but if you begin to disagree, if you have another perspective, if you have another thought, if you want to kind of inject, hey, don't do that, and, 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 and they feel, oh, 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 they feel, oh, like, no, uh, you don't tell me to do that. Who do you think you are? That is a tactic of the world. They're fine with you as long as you are catering to them and their needs and their behaviors and you're agreeing with them. But, but deviate and now uh, you're the judge. Who, who, who made you judge and Jerry? And then they say, we'll, we'll treat you worse than them. So I, I want to I be clear about this about Sodom and Gomorrah. God is not just judging them, and he's not about to pour out his wrath on them just because of their sexual deviant, deviant behavior. They are also violent. They are unhospitable. And you'll read in Ezekiel, they neglected the poor and the needy. They are just wicked people. That's why God's judgment is about to come down on them. It just isn't because of their sexual immorality. While it is the height of sexual immorality, that's not the only reason why God's going to judge them. Just, just if I want to be very clear about that. So they'll say, we'll treat you worse than them. And then they kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside, so the angels inside, reached out and they pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so that they could not find the door. This is fascinating. You would think, now I don't want, you, you know, I always, t- you know, many times when I'm talking about a, a narrative, I'm like, just imagine if you were, and so, so just imagine, I, I don't want to even really do this, but imagine you're, you're these men, you're, you're, you're trying to get inside the house because you want to drag these men out and do whatever you want to with them, but then immediately you are struck blind, you would, you would think you would get the memo, yeah, guys need to stop cool your jets, and go back home. But they're blinded, yet they're still trying to get in the house. Talk about conscience being seared. They don't get the memo. Verse 12. The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here. Because we're going to destroy this place. There it is. We're going to destroy this place. Now he tells Lot, here's why we are here. We're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against his people is so great that he has sent us here to destroy it. Josh, do you really believe in the wrath of God? I really do believe in the wrath of God. I do believe in the judgment of God. I don't believe it's figurative. I believe it is literal. You see it in Genesis 6 and 7. You see it in the judgment against the Egyptians. You see it in the judgment against the inhabitants of the promised land. You actually even see God's judgment being poured out on his people, although he leaves a remnant. Jesus talks about judgment. You see it at the very end in Revelation. There is a judgment. I believe that there is a literal literal judgment where God will pour his wrath out on the world who has gone astray from him. I believe it. 
And so here are the angels. Listen, God is about to literally destroy the city. Verse 14. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. And he said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was what? Don't you think? Come on now, Lot. Man, you've been here for years and you've never mentioned anything to us about the Lord. Like you never talked about God and his judgment. You never told us the story of really why you left and even came here. And now you want us to believe that some angels are at your house telling you that this so-called Lord, this deity, this God is about to judge the city. You got to be out your mind. They thought he was joking. They thought he was crazy. How many of our friends and our family members really don't know that we know the Lord? See, Lot knew the Lord. Again, Lot is a righteous man, but there's something about his relationship with his sons-in-law that they thought he was joking because he was never serious about his faith. Verse 15. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry! Take your wife and your two daughters who are here or you will be swept away when the city is punished. Hurry, urgent. There's this urgency. Come on, Lot, grab everything. Don't even get a U. Don't don't even book no U-Haul truck. No, don't you get two men in a truck. No, no, no. You just grab your people and you head out of the city. But verse 16, when he, everybody say it. What? He hesitated. They're so urgent in their command, and he hesitated. How many of us, we are hesitating? We, we know the Lord has told us this, but we are hesitating. We know he has told us to move on, move forward, let go, let go of the hurt, let go of the heartache, let go of the resentment, let go of the bitterness, forgive, quit harboring unforgiveness, and let go of the depravity, let go of the addiction. Pursue purity, pursue holiness, let go of your past shame, let go of your past guilt. Get serious about your faith. Quit playing with your faith. Get serious. Move forward. Well, I will. Soon, soon. I know. Soon. No, no, no. No soon about it. Quit hesitating. When he hesitated. But then the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them. Man, I, I love this. Because while Lot is hesitating, you have these angels say, you know what, I'm gonna help you, bro. I'm gonna help you, brother. I'm gonna grab you by the hand and I'm gonna yank your tail out of the city. 
Praise God for spouses. Praise God for friends. Praise God for coworkers. Praise God for family members who will speak reason to us when we are hesitating, who will grab us by the hand, who will tug on our hearts and will yank us to safety. Praise God for them, that they won't give up on us, that when we hesitate, no, they hurry. They just grab us and they yank us in. And what we see in this passage is that those who will stick beside us, those who will grab us by the hand, those who will tug our hearts, even when we are hesitating, they are not a burden from the Lord, but they are a blessing from the Lord. Because it says it's God's mercy. Oh my goodness, is it, is it not a beautiful picture about God's mercy? Even when we hesitate, he doesn't. He doesn't hesitate to show us grace. He doesn't hesitate to show us mercy. He doesn't hesitate to show us love. He doesn't hesitate to yank our tail out of that place which we don't need to be at even to begin with. Everybody okay this morning? Okay, all right. I knew I was going to be preaching. I knew, I knew, I just knew it. I mean, grasping by the hand. Verse 17. As soon as they had brought them out one of them said so one of the angels said flee for your lives don't look back don't stop anywhere in the plain flee to the mountains or you will be swept away so again it wasn't enough for them just to yank them out of the city no they needed to flee the city we have a picture of salvation here here's the picture of salvation if you really want to know what it truly means to, to be saved, here it is. You need to flee. You need to flee the, the, the wickedness. You need to turn your back on wickedness and turn your face towards heaven. So you need to flee. You need to focus. Don't turn back. Don't look back. Don't turn back. Don't long back for the things of the world. And then floor it. Put the pedal to the metal and don't stop. Like that, that is a picture of salvation. Verse 18, this is wild. But Lot said to them, no, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, obviously, or you wouldn't have yanked my tail out of the city. And you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. (laughs) Are you kidding me, Lot? Who do you think you are? This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Like, I I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's telling the angel, I don't know. I'm trying to make sense of this because I just can't make sense of it. Maybe, maybe he's thinking, guys, man, I was scheduled to have knee surgery in two weeks. I can't run to the mountains. Or maybe my hips are really bad and they're out of joint. This thing called arthritis, it's real. And so I, I just can't run. I don't know. I'm trying to make sense. God is telling Lot to flee and to run. He's like, well, I really don't want to run. Can can I just, hey, there's this, there's this, this, this town that's near here and and I'll kind of run to it. How about that? It's like halfway. Let me flee to it. It's very small, isn't it? That's what he says. Then my life will be spared. He's wanting to discuss and debate where he flees to. Like a lot of Christians, 
God, I know you want me to do this, but hey, can, can we talk about it for a second? God, I know you've told me this, but hey, I, 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 I want to tell you my side of the story. Lot's gotten some nerve, doesn't he? But look at what happens. Verse 21. He said to him, very well, I will grant this request too. Man, God's mercy is unbelievable. I'll grant this request. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. This is why the town was called Zoar. It means small. Verse 23. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. There it is. From the Lord out of the heavens. It's not some natural disaster. No, it is the wrath of God being poured out on two wicked cities who never repented. Verse 25, thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. He wiped the entire land out. Verse 26, let this be a sobering word. But Lot's wife, what did she do? And she became a pillar of salt. She didn't make it. Her fate was the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. And she actually makes the New Testament. Look at Luke 17, 26 through 33. The passage will be up on the screen behind me. Here's Jesus' words. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Judgment. Judgment was coming. But God's grace was right in front of them. God's grace was the ark. No, why are you building the ark? Well, God told me that there were floodwaters that were coming. And so he told me to build this ark. He gave me the blueprints. Oh, that's, that's a bunch of crap there, Noah. Oh, my gosh. Who do you think you are? While they're busy doing their life, Noah's bu busy being faithful to the Lord. Grace is all around the people of Noah's day, but that yet they ignored Noah, yet they ignored the sign of grace, of forgiveness, of God's love. Verse 28, it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. They didn't even know. They didn't even know. But look at verse 30, what Jesus says. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Here's what we believe as Christians who stand on the authority of Scripture. That in Jesus' first coming, he came to redeem. He came to save. He came to deliver. And we read this in John 3. The reason why he came to save, deliver, and redeem is because the world already stands condemned. That's why he did not come to condemn the world. He came so that the world might be saved. 
But then after Jesus' death and resurrection, how he has purchased redemption and salvation for all mankind, he goes back into heaven, but the Bible teaches that he will come again a second time. But the second time he comes, he's going to come as judge and king. And he's going to set up God's kingdom here on earth. And this is what Jesus is saying. So it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. And then verse 32, remember Lot's wife. This is the second shortest verse in all of scripture. The shortest verse is that Jesus wept. He wept over the effects of sin and death. Here, the second shortest verse in the Bible is to remember Lot's wife because she turned and looked back. It reminds me also of Luke chapter 9 where Jesus says no one putting his hand to the plow and then looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 13 where the sower went and sowed all of these seeds and these seeds fell in different parts of the road and different fields and then even some fell among thorns. Those that fell among thorns, those gospel seeds that fell among thorns, the seed kind of sprouted up but it was choked out by the riches and pleasures of the world and it was fruitless. Here we have Lot's wife. She knew of the things of God. She knew the vernacular. She knew the lingo. She knew where her husband came from. Maybe she was part of that caravan. We we don't really know much about Lot's wife. She's even yanked out of the city. She knows that destruction is coming. She can see the future in front of her. Deliverance just lies right ahead. Redemption lies right ahead. But what does she do she turns back and she begins to long for Sodom she begins to long for her life in Sodom she has not let go of Sodom she still clings to Sodom and as a result she suffers the fate of Sodom she was almost saved how many people will spend an eternity separated from God with the sign on them, I was almost saved. I came to church. I might even have prayed. I knew John 3.16. My family was Christians. My grandfather, my grandmother, they were godly people. I knew all of the truth. I had just never applied the truth. You see, her face was always towards hell and her back always against heaven. Her face was always towards destruction and her back was always against deliverance. It wasn't that she was saved and then she lost her salvation. No, she had never experienced salvation to begin with. Now, let me just say a word, though, about her leader and her husband, Lot. He didn't help her any by his wishy-washy, half-hearted, half-devoted faith. Now, don't get me wrong. In the end, it's her decision. It's her heart, and it was her choice that sealed her fate. But let this be a lesson. 
Be careful who you attach the wagon of your life to. Because if it is someone who is half-hearted, half-committed, half-devoted to God, it might burn you in the end. If you go to a church that just half preaches the word, it actually might burn you in the end. I understand. This message, it doesn't make you want to go home and pet your poodle. I get it. I ain't got a poodle. Well, maybe you need to go buy one. I don't know. Like, I understand. This does not make you feel... I don't even like preaching this message. But I would be unfaithful to God if I didn't preach a message like this. You don't want to go to a church that is half-hearted, half-devoted to God, half-devoted to his scriptures. No, you want to go to a church that preaches the whole counsel of God that's going to tell you the hard truth. Because if you attach your life to those who are half-hearted, it actually might burn you in the end. And then, moving, moving on, verse 27. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, towards all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. Here we got Abraham. <laughs> uh, what was Lot and his family doing in the middle of the night? They're getting their tail out of the city. What was Abraham doing in the middle of the night? He was sleeping. So we have a man, and the reason why Abraham could be safe, the reason why Abraham could be secure, the reason why he could actually even be praying for Sodom and Gomorrah, the reason why he could even be concerned for Lot is because he had already fled. He had left the land of the Ur of the Chaldeans. When God told him to leave, he left. So when, when calamity happens, he's at peace. When chaos ensues, he has an ordered life. He is truly in right standing with God. He is a friend of God. Therefore, he's not fretting. He's sleeping peacefully when Lot, because he had gotten so close to the world, he's having to flee for his life. But Abraham is sleeping like a little baby. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Moving on, verse 30. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar, so they got to Zoar, but they leave Zoar and they settled in the mountains. Finally, they got to the mountains. That's where God wanted them to go at the first place. For he was afraid, though, to stay in Zoar. So he didn't go to the mountains because God told him to. He actually went to the mountains because he was afraid to stay. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day, the older daughter said to the younger, our father is old and there is no man around here to give us children as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night they got to their father. They got their father to drink wine and the older daughter went in and slept with him. He was not aware of it. Are you kidding me? I mean, you had to be pretty drunk. Like it's just you and your daughters. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. And just by the way, let me just, on a side note, Lot had lost everything. The whole reason why he began to move in the first place is because he was a wealthy man. Here he has lost everything. You see, when, when you try, when you try to live in two worlds, you will eventually lose everything you hold dear.
Verse 34, the next day, the older daughter said to the younger, well, last night it went well. I slept with father. Let's get him and drink wine again tonight and you go in and sleep with him so that we can preserve our family line through our father. You see what carnal Christianity gets you? A lot of compromising. Like, we'll help God out. We got to preserve our family. Not, Lord, you, you, you seen what happened. You saved us. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. We don't deserve it. But, hey, we're here in the mountains. It's just me and my two daughters. You think you can help out to preserve our family? No, no, we'll just take matters into our own hands. That's what carnal Christianity does. We'll just take matters into our own hand. So they got their father to drink wine that night. And the younger daughter went in and slept with him. And again, he was not aware of it when she lay down and when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites today. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. You, you do know, if you know your Bible, the Moabites and the Ammonites would eventually be in conflict with Israel all of their days. The Moabites, the Ammonites, they did not have access they would not have access to the promises of God. They would not experience the promises of God. They would, they would not experience a flourishing life because of Lot. Let me put up the five categories of people again. Five categories of people that we saw in this passage. There are those who don't move forward because their past is their future. Who's that, Josh? That's Sodom and Gomorrah. There are those who don't move forward because they don't believe there is a future. That's the sons-in-law. They, they just don't believe. You've told them they just don't believe. The third category, that there are those who move forward but can't let go of the past. Who's that, Josh? That's Lot. He wants to live like heaven and he wants to live like hell he wants to live right in between he just cannot let go i mean just think about it even though he was removed from sodom and gomorrah you couldn't remove sodom and gomorrah from him number four there are those who attempt to move forward but their longing for the past destroys them from moving into the future who's that josh that's lot's wife there are some of you you're in the car you're, you're, you're so close to salvation. You're in the car, but you just cannot get your eyes off the rearview mirror. And then there are those who move forward because they focus on the Lord of the future. Who's that, Josh? That's Abraham. That's the reason why he can even pray for Sodom and Gomorrah. He's, he's actually being faithful and obedient to what God had called him to do in Genesis 12 to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Here he is, he's, he's trying to be a blessing to Sodom and Gomorrah. He's interceding on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because that is what God has told him to do. So here's my encouragement to all of you. And so Danny, I'm gonna ask that you come out and we're about to sing, I've decided to follow Jesus. And I pray that that would be a prayer for all of us that we would lift up this morning. But here's my encouragement to every single one of you, including me. Regardless of what category you identify with, will you move forward this morning? If you're in category one, will, will you move forward? And here's how you can move forward. It, at least you've heard now. You have heard the truth. You have heard that God's wrath stands against the world and the sin of the world. But he has offered a way of escape. He has offered redemption. He has offered salvation. He has offered 
deliverance in his son, Jesus. That's why Jesus came, to free us from the wrath to come. And so would you just consider that? That's how you can move forward. Will you just consider that? If you're in category two, will you move forward by believing? Will you believe? So maybe you're like the sons-in-law of Lot. Okay, now you've heard again, will you believe? Will you move forward and will you believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior? Category three, that's Lot. Will you fully surrender? Like if you are a, if you are a carnal Christian, if you are a lukewarm Christian, if you are good for nothing, you're neither hot nor cold, will you, will you surrender to Jesus? Quit living in two worlds and set your face now to heaven and don't look back. Let go, move forward, surrender. Category four, will you leave and cleave? You know all of the truth. You know John 3, 16. You, you know everything, but you have, you have so clung to the world that you have not even turned your face towards Jesus. Today, will you turn your face towards Jesus? Will you leave and cleave? Will you cling to Jesus? And then category five, will you keep pursuing? If you're Abraham, Keep pursuing God with all your heart. Because when God, don't look back. Because don't look back when God tells you to do what? Move forward. Let's pray. Father, may we be a people that moves forward. May we be a people that is completely surrendered to you. May we be like Abraham. That we are focused on who you are, what you have called us to do that we would experience this peace, that we would experience this calmness about us even when chaos ensues around us because we have set our gaze, we have set our heart on you. And so may Northland Church be a church that moves forward, clinging to the glory of God, the mission of God, the life of God that is only found in Jesus. For it's in his name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Will you stand with us as we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus.